0: Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney, Darian, and Hannah. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider, such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today, we're talking all about how you can support your digestion uh, with some of the building blocks that we discussed with many of our clients here at Vitality Nutrition. So everyone experiences the occasional digestive symptoms such as an upset stomach, heartburn, nausea, constipation, or diarrhea. I know these are uncomfortable (laughs) things to talk about sometimes, but it happens. Um, But if these symptoms are happening frequently, they can definitely cause some major disruptions to your life. And while the occasional digestive symptoms may not be cause for concern, there are nutrition and lifestyle changes that you can make to positively impact your gut health. So in this podcast, we're going to review some of the most impactful evidence-based strategies that you can adopt to improve your gut health. We are also going to address some listener questions um, about gut health specifically, like whether you should take probiotics or collagen supplements um, and even certain considerations around gluten and dairy, which are definitely hot topics in the digestive health world.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really excited about this one. Digestive health is a huge one, and it's an area that I love to focus on specifically. But I think all too often, sometimes even we disregard our digestive health and think there's other things we can tackle. But I think digestive health is probably one of the most solid foundations we can tackle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you focus on your digestive health, it tends to have a trickle effect mm-hmm. into other areas mm-hmm. like hormonal health and energy levels. So it's an important topic. So to jump in, um, we're going to kind of go through some of the top um, tips or top considerations that we make when we're working with our clients one-on-one here at Vitality. Um, So one of the first things we address Mm -hmm. if someone's coming to us with digestive symptoms is their fiber intake, whether they're eating enough fiber, but also considering if they might be eating too much fiber.
1: Mm -hmm. You can kind of think of it as like that Goldilocks situation where too little or too much and just finding that right amount for you. But. So fiber aids in regular bowel movements. We can think of it as adding bulk to our stool. (laughs) I know, (laughs) lovely terms. But also it provides fuel for those good bacteria. So, you know, if we're not getting enough fiber in, we can think of how those beneficial guys aren't really thriving.
0: Yeah, so Darian, how would you assess if a client's getting enough fiber?
1: I would kind of look at, you know, ask them about their bowel movements and frequency and how they're feeling after eating too. It's like, are they experiencing a lot of bloat or digestive upset, having trouble going to the bathroom, or even if they're going very frequently um, and maybe even just feeling unwell after eating. But I would say the frequency of when they're going to the bathroom is kind of one of the biggest indicators. And if they're struggling to do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know for me, it can even get like super objective when I'm working with clients like, Sometimes if it's appropriate for the client to be tracking, Mm -hmm. we can even look at how much fiber they're getting. And typically we find like the minimum for most clients is going to be 25 grams. So with that objective marker, we can really dig into, okay, how can we start increasing fiber Mm -hmm. um, from fiber rich foods?
1: Yeah. And even doing like, yeah, like you said, tracking, doing a dietary recall. Um, I think a lot of times too, we think fiber is just in fruits and vegetables, but it is in so many other foods, which is awesome. So it really gives us opportunity to have variety in our diet and ensure we're getting enough fiber. And so, um, Things like fats, so chia seeds, ground flax, avocado, nuts and seeds. Then we have our starches, so like beans and lentils, popcorn, whole grain breads and wraps. Um, There's just so many opportunities for us to add different fiber sources to our diet. If we can start to do some label reading and
0: identify alternative fiber sources, like I often feel like I'm recommending chia seeds to clients Mm because they're just such an awesome source of fiber that you can add to your yogurt, your oatmeal, your smoothies. And it's just going to skyrocket uh, your fiber for the day if you need that support.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then I think the other caveat there is that we do want to watch out for super high fiber Mm -hmm. foods. Mm -hmm. So especially like fiber added foods. So things like smart sweets, which are delicious, (laughs) um, but also certain breads and even some protein bars will have a really high fiber content. Like Over 8 grams, 10, 12 grams even sometimes we see that. And that kind of comes back to that Goldilocks situation um, that Darian talked about, that we want to be in a good range, um, but we don't want to be too low or too high. And sometimes with these super doses that come in some of these foods, um, it can cause digestive upset for some people, and some people are totally fine with it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's that that middle ground where I do have some clients where it's like, oh, you know what, we can't tolerate over – like five grams mm-hmm. even at a meal, but some people are like, oh, I'm crushing like 10, 15 grams and I feel great. So it is so um, uniquely individualized.
0: Yeah. And it kind of depends on what, how you want to feel as well. Mm-hmm. Like if your fiber so. intake is quite high, you just might feel a little more bloated and full. And if you're okay with that, Probably no consequences to it. Um, But if you like feeling, if you don't like feeling that way, then you want to be a little bit more mindful. And certainly with like um, a lot of products on the market, like Hannah said, you want to watch for those fiber added foods because um, it can be a little bit too much for a lot of people. So to summarize, fiber is really important for gut health because it's going to feed the good bacteria that live in your gut and aid in regular bowel movements. We want enough fiber, but not too much fiber. So we're looking for that Goldilocks sweet spot. The
1: second tip that we can consider when it comes to supporting our digestive health is staying hydrated. And this one lends really nicely on top of our fiber recommendation because staying hydrated in water helps lubricate the digestive tract so that the fiber we're eating is actually passing through and supporting those regular bowel movements. And a lot of times clients ask like, how much water should I drink?
0: How much water do you guys recommend your clients consume?
2: Yeah, there is no perfect amount or calculation, but really based on thirst cues is probably like the best way we can go about it. And we know if we are um, having more fiber in our diet um, that our thirst might go up a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. You just need that extra hydration to keep things moving. And, you know, even our fluids needs are just changing based on our environment. If it's a hot climate, maybe you're extra active or sweating a lot. Find your quite a sweaty person after your workouts too your hydration needs definitely go up so thirst cues are huge but even a kind of a nice starting place we'll often recommend is half your body weight in ounces one ounce is about 28 milliliters
2: yeah so if you're feeling you know extra backed up or maybe you did have that higher fiber day just so one off sometimes just an extra cup of water or two can just help things move along um, and kind of clear that full feeling
0: mm-hmm So to summarize, staying hydrated is really important for your digestive health. It's going to lubricate the digestive tract and keep things moving. And your thirst cues are going to be the best guide for how much to drink. But keep in mind, if you're eating more fiber, you're probably going to need a little bit more water.
1: The third tip when it comes to supporting digestion is actually chewing your food, Mm -hmm. which might sound kind of silly, but chewing your food actually helps break down those larger particles um, into smaller particles so that your stomach can metabolize and break down the food better. Saliva actually also contains digestive enzymes, which are released when we're chewing and helps assist in the digestion process. So when your mouth is releasing those enzymes, it actually will help pass through your throat, your stomach. So your digestion is just improved overall and chewing actually sends messages to your gastrointestinal system that foods on its way and can trigger hydrochloric acid, which helps food move through the digestive tract and ensure that it's processed efficiently. Hmm. I actually didn't really know that.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning. learning. Yeah, <laughs> something that I just wanted to add here as a sidebar. Like a lot of times, clients will ask, like, "Oh, my smoothie's so good, but it just like doesn't keep me full for very long." And certainly, there's ways to boost a smoothie so it keeps you fuller longer, like adding fiber-rich foods and healthy fats and protein. But one reason that it does digest more quickly is because the blender's breaking down those foods and particles. So it's easier for your digestive tract to break down and absorb. And so that's kind of what chewing Mm -hmm. does for our body as well. Like when we chew our
1: foods really well, it just makes digestion easier. Mm -hmm. And even on that note, how Court kind of mentioned, like things are going to be more smooth, more broken down and processed. We can think of that too, in terms of the bacteria in our stomach where if we're not chewing our food we're going to kind of have lumps of food that aren't broken down and that actually can cause a little bit more unwanted bacteria in our colon and that's often sometimes even why we experience indigestion, bloating, more gas or constipation because those large particles of food are sitting there and having to be now digested like further in our stomach versus when we could have been supporting our body early on in the digestive process.
0: So chewing your food well to break it down actually kind of transitions us nicely into the next point, which is to manage stress. Um, So if we're chewing our food well, perhaps we're more relaxed and less stressed at the meal, but understanding stress in our body can actually help us understand how our digestive tract is um, adjusting essentially to the stress experience that we have in our body so we like to explain the nervous system to our clients by talking about the parasympathetic nervous system which is the rest and digest mm-hmm. system and then the sympathetic nervous system which is the fight or flight so if we're stressed um and stress isn't always a bad thing mm-hmm. like stress could be you know like a hard workout um you well, know feeling, learning a new skill learning a new yep. skill um so it doesn't have to be negative stress but but When our body's activated, um, hormones are released that energize our body to Mm -hmm. take on that stressor. And in that um, process, digestive (laughs) processes are essentially not prioritized Mm or um, turned off. And so when we are eating our meals, if we can be relaxed, we're going to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which aids in
1: digestion. So releasing Mm -hmm. enzymes that help to break down our food. And even just ensuring that blood flows directed to our guts, too, to help that process. And, you know, like Court said, I always say to clients, like, you know, you're not going to be able to digest your food if your body thinks you're being chased by a bear. So the more we can find that parasympathetic state for ourself, um, the better we're honestly going to be able to digest and even just enjoy your meal, too.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so do you guys have any tips for clients if they are looking to find um, a little bit more (laughs) relaxation
1: at mealtimes to aid in digestion? Yeah, absolutely. I sometimes my clients think I'm silly for saying this, but then they thank me later. But taking deep belly breaths before you eat, even if it's just three to five very deep breaths where you're breathing in for like... Three to five seconds and breathing out, it actually just like allows your body to relax and find that more um, parasympathetic state. Mm-hmm. So your body just knows, hey, we're in a safe state. Things are okay. We can kind of optimize digestion now. Yeah.
2: And I think, too, you can think about your environment, right, Mm -hmm. and how stimulating or relaxing your environment is. So, you know, trying to put away the electronics Mm -hmm. while you're eating, um, bring yourself down. Don't maybe answer that stressful email in the middle of your lunch, too. (laughs) Um, Again, kind of is signaling to your body, like Darian Mm -hmm. said, hey, like we're okay, and we can actually focus on our task at hand, which is digesting our food.
0: Yeah. Truthfully, I feel like I've eaten the majority of my meals. In front of a laptop, whether it was in university or now working as a dietitian. So a goal that I would love to Mm -hmm. focus on is taking time for meals. And I mean, we can't always take time for every single meal, but just carving out some time in my day to relax and (laughs) chew my food well and enjoy a meal is definitely on my radar for my digestive health. So to summarize this recommendation, our nervous system actually can regulate digestive processes in our body. So if we can relax and stress less at our meals, we can actually promote better digestion.
1: Our fifth tip for supporting your digestion is actually giving your digestion a break for three to five hours between meals. So the benefit of this is that space between eating actually activates something called our migrating motor complex. It sounds big and fancy, but essentially we can think of this as our cleanup crew. So when we're giving ourselves space between meals, we have this little MMC, I call it, that is activated, and it comes in and just cleans up unwanted debris from your meal and supports things passing through. Um, So This complex is only activated about two hours after eating. So you can see how if we're kind of constantly grazing or snacking here and there, um, it doesn't really have time to do its job and it has to constantly be reset. So ensuring that you're giving yourself some space between meals can ensure that this complex is activated and doing its job. And now, don't get me wrong, this does not mean that you cannot be snacking or having meals when you're hungry because listening to your hunger cues is first and foremost the most important piece of it all. Um, But, you know, just asking yourself, hey, can I give myself a little bit of time before between meals and seeing how you feel can be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
0: think a great tip that works in tandem with this one is to build out really balanced Mm -hmm. meals with all of the food groups. Like when we're getting enough fat, protein and fiber with our meals, we're going to naturally feel full and satisfied for three to five hours. So Mm -hmm. it'll be really easy to take that break from eating to
1: let the MMC come Mm -hmm. and do its job. To summarize... Giving your digestion a break between meals can be beneficial to support that MMC coming through and clearing that debris to optimize your digestion.
2: So that brings us to our sixth tip, which is to get moving. So movement um, is awesome to do after meals or before meals because it can help just keep things going in our whole body, and that includes our digestion.
1: Yeah, something we even consider is sometimes it's really helpful to just go for a little five-minute walk even after you eat. It just keeps stimulating digestion, helps things get moving.
0: Mm -hmm. It even helps to support stable blood sugar, Mm -hmm. so... An awesome um, habit to get into if you can take that five minute, yeah. five minute break between meals, or even like before a meal. Something you might want to consider with movement as well is how high intensity movement um, could actually um, activate that sympathetic nervous system that we talked about. So that fight or flight system, which could actually shut down digestion, which is why some people say like, I'm not hungry after I work Mm -hmm. out. Like, do I have to eat immediately after? And typically the reason that we're not hungry is because that, um, nervous system state is active and it's, you know, shutting down digestion essentially, which is fine. We just want to kind of bring ourselves down, relax, do a cool down. And then eventually, um, we'll get back into a state where we are hungry and our digestion, um, is able to break down and absorb um, the meal that we eat. So to summarize here, movement between meals can stimulate digestive processes. Even if it's a five minute walk, um, that could be a way to support your digestion.
1: Our seventh tip is eating enough. This one might sound almost counterintuitive, but um, eating enough will stimulate the gut to actually work so you have food in it. So if you think about having bulk in our stomachs to keep things moving, if we're not eating enough consistently to support our body and energy needs, there's not going to be really enough bulk, I guess, in our stool for um, that peristalsis to occur, which is that wave that helps move things through our gut and promote bowel movement. So even if um, clients are a little bit constipated or finding their trouble, having trouble going to the bathroom, we'll kind of just look at their overall intake and see if we have room to add more or how they're supporting their energy needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another consideration here is
0: how the food that we eat feed those good bacteria mm-hmm. in our gut. So there's even studies that show that calorie-restricted diets lead to decrease in the uh, abundance of bacteria in the microbiome. So certainly like eating enough to stimulate digestive processes um, and other processes in the body as well, but then also fueling those bacteria with the food they need essentially to thrive. So to summarize, we know that eating enough is important to support our metabolism and our energy levels, but it also supports digestive processes. So we've summarized some of the foundational habits that we um, move through with our clients here at Vitality to ensure that their digestive health is supported. However, there are some additional considerations you might just want to have at the top of your mind. If you are navigating any digestive disruption, these are things that can kind of take your digestive health to the next level or even like navigate a specific challenge that you're experiencing.
1: The first one would be to be aware of digestive disruptors, so like sugar alcohols. So what is a sugar alcohol, Darian? So a sugar alcohol is a lower calorie sweetener that is added to different foods, sometimes like candies or protein bars to replace the sugar. Um, But they essentially bypass digestion in our gut. They pull a lot of water in and that can be resultant of diarrhea, some bloating, gas, just a lot of GI upset. Yeah. So if you're looking for those sugar alcohols in food, they'll typically
0: end in OL, Mm -hmm. like erythritol, Mm -hmm. mannitol. So a lot of people just don't. um, Well, really, most people don't digest those well. Mm -hmm. Some people don't experience much discomfort. Others do. So you just want to watch out for those um, if you do have a product like a protein bar that has sugar alcohols.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say actually overall, I have like pretty like cool digestion like i don't have a (laughs) lot of digestive issues but um certain protein bars with sugar alcohols are like one of the things that will actually Mm. throw me off Mm -hmm. um and like yeah i would say in general i don't actually struggle with digestion so that's definitely (laughs) one i watch out for yeah
0: So another consideration, not for everyone, but certainly for some people, is to address any individual intolerances. So this one we want to be really mindful of because not everyone has intolerances to certain foods and we don't want to jump to eliminating Mm -hmm. foods if it's not necessary. But there are some cases where certain foods might cause digestive symptoms or um, may not be tolerated. And then for that individual, we might have to look at trialing an elimination diet to see if that food... um, essentially isn't supportive of their digestive health
1: yeah and like Courtney said it's really important that we're not jumping to the elimination mm-hmm. piece right away and that we're doing it under the guidance of a trusted healthcare professional like a dietitian, because the process can be very restrictive and rigorous to follow so ensuring that you have that support if it is necessary for your goals to undergo that um, and not necessarily something you would ever want to do on your own mm-hmm. too yeah. Uh what are the common intolerances that you see in practice? Mm-hmm. So there would be a big one is FODMAPs and this one's a very restrictive diet. Um but FODMAPs are very interesting to look at. They stand for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides and polyols. So <laughs> Everyone has to remember that. Everyone remember that. (laughs) You have to recite it. Um, No, essentially they're carbohydrates that just aren't digested in our stomachs and they undergo different fermentation processes and everyone tolerates different amounts differently. Um, So it's just one that I'll kind of look for with clients that are having specific digestive concerns And we never specifically... um, Not all cases require us to follow through with the diet itself because, again, it's a very restrictive elimination phase. But there is cases where we can pick out some of those specific FODMAPs that they aren't tolerating, and then we can introduce them and see what amounts they are tolerating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Other ones um, would be dairy um, and gluten, which are, I guess kind of those common ones in uh, nutrition. And I think they often get um, the short end of the <laughs> stick, mm-hmm. but they're often not the even the root cause, but they're definitely considerations for some. Yeah. Um, and then even just high fats. Some people just don't tolerate a lot of fat at one meal. It mm-hmm. can just sit really heavy in their stomach sometimes. And we find that if we can find that more optimal level for them, they feel a lot better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fats require different digestive processes mm-hmm. to be broken down. For, so for some people, if maybe they um, don't have a gallbladder, mm-hmm. then they're not able to tolerate those high fat yeah. meals. And we might have to consider that. Um, but certainly like other people tolerate, they don't have to kind of be as concerned about yes. the amount of fat that they have at a meal. Absolutely. And I think like
2: even along with that, it's like the spectrum of intolerance can be a lot, mm-hmm. right? Like I have lots of clients i will say like, They're lactose intolerant, um, but they can tolerate certain things like maybe yogurt or, Mm -hmm. um, but if we think of ice cream, Mm -hmm. they can't tolerate it or they have some digestive upset with it. But most of them will be like, but I accept that. Like (laughs) I'll have the ice cream cone and I'll just accept that my digestion might not be great. So I think that there's also that spectrum that's important to consider.
0: Yeah, and something I wanted to actually note here is that if we think about those bacteria in our gut, they're fueled by what we eat. So say Mm -hmm. we haven't had a Mm lactose-containing food for a long time, and then we... Introduce it back in. It can cause some discomfort as our microbiome adjusts to having this food back and the bacteria flourish in the gut. Mm -hmm. And so um, a client might think like, oh, I don't tolerate lactose when really they just haven't had it for a long time. And if we introduce it slowly, they tolerate it fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: As a personal example, chickpeas for me, mm-hmm. um, if I haven't had chickpeas for a long time and then I have a big serving of chickpeas, they just don't sit well. But if I slowly bring them back into my diet and I have them consistently, I'm able to tolerate them and break them down because I have that bacteria mm-hmm. in my gut that's able to like, support that digestion and breakdown. So another consideration to further support your digestive health is to consider adding fermented foods. So fermented foods are foods that contain live microorganisms that essentially like feed or add to the good bacteria that live in our gut. So what would
1: be some examples of fermented foods?
0: Yeah. So some examples would be like a raw sauerkraut Mm -hmm. or kimchi, um, foods like kefir. um, You could also do like a kombucha. Um, So the raw is important to consider with like the sauerkraut or the kimchi because we need those bacteria to be alive. So a pasteurized sauerkraut Mm -hmm. isn't going to have the same benefits of the live microorganisms. But essentially, if we can add a serving or two of one of these foods in our day, um, and then we can monitor if we notice any improvement to our digestion as we feed that good bacteria. Mm -hmm. So do you guys have any fermented foods that you intentionally add into your day? (laughs)
1: Yeah. uh, Well, lately I've been eating sauerkraut. Um, Maybe a bit of a freak because I'll just eat it from a fork. Like I won't really add it to anything. I think it's pretty tasty. Um, I've trialed kefir which I think is actually pretty tasty and Mm -hmm. like smoothies or even just mix a little bit with your yogurt and it kind of blends right in Um, and I enjoy sipping on kombucha too sometimes yeah yeah what about you Hannah?
2: Yeah to be honest as I said before I don't actually have very many digestive woes so lots of these things that we're talking (laughs) about are like things that I should probably consider but I actually don't intentionally do Mm -hmm. um, just because it's not a huge priority for me Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah
0: So, another consideration when you are looking at your digestive health so, people with a menstrual cycle, that's something that we want to consider because our menstrual cycle or our hormones can affect our digestion. And it's very normal um, in the few days before you get your period, so in the luteal phase, to have some changes to your digestion. So essentially a hormone that's dominating in that phase of the cycle is called progesterone. It's a hormone um, that is like I said, it rises in that luteal phase. And then if you were to be pregnant or get pregnant, it continue to rise throughout a pregnancy. And what it actually can do is relax the ligaments and muscles in the body to make room for growth should you be pregnant. Um, but what it can also do is relax the uh, muscles of the gut. So a lot of um, people experience a little bit of constipation in the few days before their period. And then when they do get their period, that relieves, they might even have like a little bit of diarrhea as things like level out. So this is quite normal um, and just something to consider so you're not like, oh my gosh, my digestive health (laughs) is all out of whack. It's just like a little bump in the road. That's part of the seasons of the cycle um, that um, people with a menstrual cycle go through. (music)
2: Yeah, so now that we have touched on some foundational habits and uh, tips that we have and then also some extra tips or bonus tips, we want to get into some questions we often get as dietitians when it comes to digestive health.
0: Mm -hmm. So a common one that I've received a lot recently is, should I take a collagen supplement for my gut health specifically?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a big one. I feel like um, collagen is heavily marketed in the nutrition world to supporting leaky gut, quote unquote, or even just helping our hair, skin and nails. And so collagen is a protein and it, it is found in our skin, bones, ligaments and tendons of humans and animals. Um, And there is research that shows they can strengthen like the elasticity of skin and even from like clinical perspective, there's some research on like pressure wounds. But from like, when gut health is concerned, there's not a lot of evidence to show that collagen is necessarily going to heal your gut specifically. Um, I was looking at a few studies and it showed the effect of collagen on inflammation and found that um, in conditions where maybe people have like IBS, which is an inflammatory condition in our mm-hmm. gut, um, collagen is degraded with this condition, but taking more collagen isn't necessarily going to replace it or necessarily heal or support the gut. So while it's not going to be a harmful addition, I wouldn't necessarily um, recommend it as something that will Fix your gut problems.
0: Yeah. And I guess the perspective that I heard it from, which I'd like to do some more research on, is like Mm -hmm. uh, that collagen's high in glutamine that can Mm -hmm. like feed the cells of the gut. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if you've dug into any research on that, Darian.
1: Yeah. Definitely the glutamine one is, um, interesting because it is one of the most abundant amino acids in our body and there is some research supporting that like glutamine itself will support um the microbiome and even increase like expressions of some of those tight junctions in Mm. our cell wall that can support the integrity of the intestinal wall lining um so glutamine itself i'd say and higher doses can be recommended more on its own. Um, but again, I do think it's something where further research is needed to mm-hmm. um, for it to be a very solid recommendation.
0: Yeah. So if a client came to you and they were like, mm-hmm. I really
1: want to take collagen. Mm-hmm. Should I? What do you think? What would you say to them? Honestly, I would say, you know what, if you're willing to spend the money on it, then it's definitely not going to hurt. It's going to be another protein source for them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they are struggling with their protein intake. Um, But if I find that they're getting enough protein overall, their diet's Mm -hmm. really well balanced, it's not going to be a must. Yeah, that's
0: kind of where I land too. It's like if you really want to take Mm -hmm. it, it offers that extra protein. Maybe it supports you, but I wouldn't go out of my way to recommend it. Just as you said, maybe not quite enough
2: research to make it a Mm -hmm. solid
0: recommendation quite yet. Definitely. Mm Definitely.
2: Yeah and I think that that just goes back to at the end of the day like there the amino acids that are in collagen are also amino acids that are in A lot of protein sources Mm -hmm. so you know even if we're thinking of specific amino acids that may be beneficial for the gut we're getting those from lots of different sources it's not like collagen or taking a supplement of an amino acid itself is the only way we're getting it um so we're always going to take a food first approach right Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: absolutely um so another question we um get quite often is should i take a probiotic
1: supplement Oh, probiotics are tricky um, because not all strains are created equal and some strains are used for specific ailments or treatments. Um, so even if we look at something like a bifidobacterium, it's a bacteria that's that can increase serotonin in our gut. And in combination with different probiotic strains like lactobacillus, it can treat constipation. But then we have some uh, strains that are protective for antibiotic-associated diarrhea and um, others that could actually make it worse. So if if we're looking at a root cause and we're just looking at adding in a generic probiotic or just choosing random strains, we might not be targeting what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And it can actually maybe even just not help the ailment at all or worsen it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing with probiotics is that when we're taking them, They're gonna be at its highest quality and functioning when we're actually also supporting our guts by feeding it with prebiotics. Just to clarify, so these prebiotics that I'm talking about, they feed the probiotics. And they're actually found in a lot of foods that most of us are probably eating on a regular basis too, like lots of our fruits and veggies, like bananas, onions, garlic, even oatmeal and sweet potatoes are a good source of prebiotics. So, Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, pat yourself on the back, you might be already feeding those probiotics. (laughs) For sure. And I'm curious, like Courtney, because we already talked about um, fermented foods, like what is the difference between taking a probiotic supplement or integrating more of those fermented foods in your diet?
0: Yeah. So fermented foods aren't probiotics, but probiotics can be fermented foods it's a little <laughs> bit confusing but essentially fermented foods have live microorganisms mm-hmm. in them um, but they're not designed or researched to treat specific conditions where a probiotic food is actually like um, researched it's like a strain of bacteria that's usually been added to a food or to a supplement that you're taking for a specific reason so in order to be classified as a probiotic it has actually has to be researched and there has to be evidence to say that you know it um treats Mm -hmm. a specific condition
2: okay another question that we often get asked which we touched on a little bit but is should i eliminate gluten and dairy
0: yeah. So certainly a common question. And before we kind of jump into the specifics of gluten and dairy, what I will say is before we jump into any elimination diet, we want to be very cautious, work with a trusted healthcare provider, um, because we know that even like the mental restriction of not having those foods could be detrimental, especially if it's not even necessary to be eliminating them. And then also when we think of our gut health, it thrives with variety and we can get a lot of variety from you know foods that contain gluten are often fiber rich, so they can be supportive from. From that perspective. And, you know, as well, dairy is very rich in protein, and it's a great food to include if we can. Um, so we don't want to jump to eliminations without knowing that, you know, it's necessary for us to trial that.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think it kind of comes back to our foundational tips we talked about earlier in this podcast of we want to make sure we're getting enough fiber, we have that variety, are we eating enough, are we giving our um, gut digestive rest and all these Mm -hmm. things so that we have a very solid foundation. And with that foundation, if we're still not feeling our best, then maybe it's time to explore, is there something that we're not actually Mm -hmm. digesting well? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so with gluten specifically, like we could really dive down like a science mm-hmm. rabbit hole here, but sometimes like certain conditions like celiac mm-hmm. disease, um, people cannot um, tolerate gluten, so we have to eliminate it. Eliminate it from that perspective. But there's other cases where gluten might be an intolerance where it's actually affecting the lining of the gut wall. So Darian said something, um, a term leaky gut earlier, Mm -hmm. which sometimes we see called intestinal permeability in the literature. But essentially, um, for some, gluten can change the integrity of the gut wall so that those um, junctions between Mm -hmm. cells are actually opening up. And then that can cause issues related to autoimmune diseases. But then it can also cause some issues in the gut as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even with gluten specifically, if, um, you know, someone maybe finds they aren't tolerating it well, but they're not necessarily celiac, sometimes we'll even just say, you know, monitor gluten rich sources in your day doesn't mean eliminate it. It just means, you know, maybe you're having toast at breakfast. So we choose a gluten free carbohydrate at lunch just to kind of space and again, kind of giving your body a little bit of break. But um, I think it's to something where we create a lot of fear around some of those foods too and then almost tell ourselves that we can't have them anymore and how it's going to impact your body. But it's definitely something we explore with our clients where we find that optimal level for you without feeling like you have to completely restrict or change your intake. Yeah, yeah. What about dairy? Yeah, dairy is an interesting one, too, because I feel like, again, I feel like it just gets the short end of the stick in nutrition. It's like dairy causes acne or dairy causes all my digestive upsets. But I think, honestly, a lot of it I see is kind of those bases that Hannah touched on just aren't there. Mm-hmm. So then maybe dairy's is exasperating things or causing some symptoms where the root cause isn't addressed. Definitely – I mean, lactose is a huge one, but it's different than a dairy allergy where you actually have an immune reaction to it. So often we'll just explore some lactose-free products with clients and it allows them to have a little bit of freedom too where they feel like they can still include that dairy and find that they can tolerate it okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, maybe even we find that certain amounts of dairy or um, are well-tolerated than others. Maybe you just have to have a smaller serving or, again, kind of limit those or um, explore different sources in your day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think like a clarification um, that is probably good to have is like, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about celiac Mm -hmm. briefly and then also like an allergy Mm -hmm. to dairy. Those are things that, yes, of course, we're not going to have those in our diet then versus more of that like intolerance spectrum that. Mm -hmm. You know, our hope would be we want people to eat as much variety as Mm -hmm. possible and enjoy Mm. their life to the fullest with Mm -hmm. a variety of foods included in that. So, if we can support you to have that variety while you're still helping your gut and feeling great, then that is like our ideal situation for dietitians to help a client
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and absolutely we're going to support you with whatever intolerances Mm -hmm. you have and if there's a food that you just know doesn't work for you that's more than okay but yeah just to echo what hannah said variety is so wonderful when it comes to nutrition Mm -hmm. and so we want to maintain that variety whenever possible before jumping to eliminations
2: All of us as dietitians do get questions about apple cider vinegar, and since Darian is more of the gut expert here, (laughs) um, I'm going to pass this one over to her. Yeah,
1: that's a great one. Apple cider vinegar is a really hot topic in the nutrition world, and it's often marketed to support digestion and help with that um, digestive process. And just as a little bit of a background. So apple cider vinegar is naturally acidic and it has something in it called digestive bitters. So while it's not ever a first line recommendation or something that I think people need to be including, there are special cases when there is um, some research to support that little bit of apple cider vinegar when heavily diluted. So that would mean like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar to even like half a cup of water can support digestion by increasing stomach acid in people who might be experiencing lower stomach acid because that will help just break down the food, maybe relieve a little bit of um, bloating or gas for those people specifically. But overall, it is not, again, like a first line recommendation to start drinking apple cider vinegar. And it's a very careful consideration if, mm. I, if I ever even recommend it for clients. So what would be a symptom mm-hmm. of low stomach acid? Yeah. So if you find that your food's sitting really heavy all the time and it's almost like it's just not moving, um, a lot of burping, um, kind of like constant bloating gassiness too where it's like, you know, no matter how much you're eating, it just feels like like nothing's really moving. Mm. So those are the common ones that I find with my clients. A really big topic in the nutrition world, and I feel one that all of us are very commonly asked, is should I intermittent fast? And I guess, like, Courtney, like, what is intermittent fasting? Yeah, so intermittent fasting, just as a simple definition,
0: would be a period of time without eating. But then how long that time is could be dependent on the, you know, the individual
2: Actually, if we think about it, we all intermittent fast, right? We Mm -hmm. all go through a period of time where we do not eat, which is when we're sleeping. Um, And then in the nutrition world, there's so many different types of intermittent fasting, you know, whether it be a two-day fast, a five-day where you eat, a two-day where you fast, or that, you know, eight-hour window where you eat. Um, But I think most people, when they're asking us, are asking about that, like, shorter window in a day when Mm -hmm. they eat. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So truthfully, there's so many different angles to look at intermittent fasting from the perspective of hormonal health, um, metabolism, but to keep it strictly to gut health, we do know that having a break between our meals as we discussed earlier can be really supportive of digestive processes and activating that migrating motor complex. However, what we see in the literature is that fasting during the day is not optimal for our circadian rhythms, including our digestive processes. So typically what we're recommending for clients is to get more of their food during the day when it's light outside, which would mean that you're not fasting overnight and then like late into the day and batching your eating later on. It's actually more about eating enough during the day so we've provided a lot of information in this podcast from the basics of digestion all the way into some additional considerations and even some common questions so if we had to highlight what we really want you to take away from this podcast to support your digestion it is those basics so getting enough fiber but not too much Mm -hmm. staying hydrated throughout the day chewing your food well Understanding how stress affects your digestion, giving your digestive tract a bit of a break between meals, getting moving to support your digestive processes, and eating enough.
1: Yeah, I think those are all the solid takeaways. And if anything, um, I think they just form such a supportive foundation for your digestion that they're just great to go back to time and time again before you can really dive into those other specifics yeah. with a healthcare professional. Mm hmm thanks for
0: spending your time with us to further fill your plate follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca and as always we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts stay fed stay moving and stay well
2: Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.